I am Dr. Fernandez Falcon and this is the Mentors Podcast. On this episode, Dr. Dawit, Dr. Kamsmith, and me had the privilege of talking to Dr. Jennifer Peel. Dr. Peel holds a PhD on experimental psychology with focus on human cognition from the Texas Christian University at Fort Worth. I will leave the discussion of her alma mater, Southwestern University at Georgetown, Texas, for the podcast. Dr. Peel and Dr. Dawi really get going about this later on. Dr. Peel has worked as an associate professor at UT Health Science Center San Antonio since September 2008 and has been the assistant dean for graduate medical education since August 2013. I had the privilege of listening to Dr. Peel several times before on topics related to medical education and leadership. Since every time I listened to one of her lectures, I woke out more motivated and knowledgeable I wanted all of you to be exposed to who I believe is one of the most engaging and pragmatic speakers I have ever heard. As always, we hope you enjoy our podcast. And now to Dr. Peel. So, kind of the premise, like we've said, is is we would like to find, you know, from people who, who we see as mentors within all sorts of different avenues of medicine and, and all the ancillary fields, if you could reach out to yourself or someone like you at our stage of training, what would you say, you know, knowing what you know now to either get where you are or to avoid where you are, <laughs> what would you, yeah, so, you know, to avoid and, and, where I am. And, and you back to the, the future rules, so you can't, you know, no, no spoilers for the World Series or anything like but, that, but, you know, what pearls could you pass on? I think I would I would have I would have told myself to be more patient. Um, medicine is is changing so rapidly. I mean, you, I forget what the latest is on the journal articles and and how many journal journal articles there'll be. You know what the logarithmic acceleration with of knowledge in medicine, and that's fast enough. And things are moving around. You know. To, to slow down and focus more on my ability to communicate with people. I'd like to think that I've had a good six, you know, good track record with communicating with people, but I can look back and think about times when I missed a wonderful opportunity to help someone improve their skills or they might have helped me improve my skills because I didn't take the time to establish a relationship with them. And Again, this is such a fast-paced environment that even those of us who aren't seeing patients still kind of get caught up in that wanting things to happen at our pace Mm -hmm. as opposed to taking the time to cultivate some of those relationships. The great example is um, Jim Tysinger, who just retired from many years in this department. And I've known Jim for all of my career. through various means and we actually I kind of followed him unintentionally we had been in the same places before so it was only natural I came to San Antonio because that's where he was it just it was accidental (laughs) but because of that Jim always looked out for me and he invited me to come talk to family medicine at different times when other people might not have thought about it but it's because we had that kind of relationship where we we thought of each other right we we knew we knew our strengths we knew our interests and it was it was just it seemed natural 
to sometimes call Jim and ask his opinion about something um, or him to, to invite me to come talk. And I, I just wish I'd done more of that. I think that's, that's something for any career mm-hmm. is to really stop to focus on some of those relationships. I'd love to think everybody liked me, but I'm sure there's some that, <laughs> that are really glad I'm not where they are anymore. They're, everybody they're likes lost. You. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so patience to establish relationships mm-hmm. because some of them don't always happen right away it you know some people take work to cultivate a relationship i, I again a, a faculty member colleague who um has recently retired i won't mention his name but i first couple of times interacted with him i thought god this is a crusty old guy <laughs> I'm not going to, this is not going to work. He actually, in an internal review, when we used to have those, used to uh, get really defensive and kind of, I felt personally attacked a couple of times when I asked questions and he got really, really nasty. And I thought, God, this, I'm never going to, never going to make it with this guy. And I went over to his office one day and noticed something in his office and asked a question about it and found a connection with him that involves my alma mater, tiny school. I think we might have the same alma mater. I know we do. You do. <laughs> and that's what excites me. But you know how small this tiny. place is and how what how unlikely it is for the two of us to be in the same room. That's why I right? saw it and I told Dr. Falcone I was so surprised that we had the same alma mater. Absolutely. <laughs> so where is it? Which one is Southwestern it? University. In nice. Georgetown, Texas. Mm-hmm. Very small school, but I think the people that have gone there, I feel like when you find someone else that went to that school. You know the connection, yeah. right? And this individual's son just graduated a couple of years ago from Southwestern. And after we discovered that relationship every time he walked down the hall and saw me walking down the hall Dr. Peel <laughs> it was like a, a switch going off but it took finding that connection and it took that patience with him I'm glad I didn't just write him off so networking patience to establish a relationship because networking it's important but it's important for your role or it's important for everybody that I'm is everybody i i i just had a, a a meeting with some residents this week to talk about some of their experiences in in a couple of different clinical environments they they happen to 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 uh rotate in two participating sites and i was trying to contrast those and one of the first things they said about a po- very positive thing about a faculty member was how much this individual used his own contacts to help them get jobs. Networking. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you just never know when it might come in handy. I know I when I first moved to San Antonio, I didn't come straight into academic medicine. I'd been in academic medicine and intentionally left it, <laughs> thinking the grass was greener somewhere else. Well, it is, but it's fertilized with really stinky stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, um, and, and so I found myself looking for another job um, and realized I didn't have a network in San Antonio. I had just moved here the year before. 
And so when you're when you're in a position where you don't have that network, you you come to value it even more when you do establish that. And I think being able whoop, being able to share that with other people as well, like these residents were saying, that faculty member was he is so good about helping us, you know, reach out to some of his contacts to help us find jobs. So you never know who it's going to help. So you came back to academics. Oops. Oh yeah, that that cur that makes you curious about coming yeah. back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why 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 did you come back? Because that's a good thing to yeah. discuss to new people that may say, okay, is this yeah. one? Because there are different people saying different things about academic medicine, yeah. and us that we are here, we know what passion brought us. Right. What part of the passion brought us? So which one is yours? So. I came back because I wanted to have peers again. People I could bounce ideas off of, people I felt like could help me continue to grow. Um, and then the fun of watching, helping other people develop as teachers. Um, and again, another one of those contacts reached out to me and said, I don't know if you're looking, but Here's this position at UT. And I said, well, I wasn't looking, but I want to talk about it. And had I not had that relationship with him, it wasn't Jim Tysinger, but it was someone very close to him. <laughs> um, and I had admired the faculty development efforts here for so long, um, Jim being a part of that, that I, I was, I'd have been crazy not to at least listen. So a big part of what I heard that you talk about before, <clears throat> and that's why you're here, is you typically kind of like imbue this love of the academic side of medicine mm -hmm. in which you always said, or I heard you a couple of times say in the word growth, the continued growth. Right. That's something that resonated with me because I felt the same way. Right. So talk a little bit more about that because you do that part of the faculty development. So how yeah, um, part of it is just remembering what it was like for me. If you've, if you've ever heard me talk about the first time I taught a class. Yes, that's, that's a good one. Yeah, um, so I was a graduate student, and PhDs, just like MDs, are often thrown into the world of, here, go teach a class. <laughs> and um, I was a first-year graduate student, so I was all of 22 years old fresh out of Southwestern <laughs> and um, I was the teaching assistant for a course called sexual behavior and the um, the professor came to me and goes I've, I'm gonna be out of town next week I need you to do the I need you to do the the lecture on reproductive anatomy <laughs> and I went it, what he goes yeah hey man you can use my Back then, that was, you know, they actually had a carousel of slides. Um, and I just looked at him and I said, I, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. And one of my um, colleagues, one of my peers, used to teach a sexual anatomy course. And he goes, I, Jennifer, I'll do it. And I, uh, <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I was, I mean, I could do it now. Um, but you know, I was the same age as a lot of the kids in that room, mm. and I just didn't think I could get up there and talk about those parts. 
And, and so when I talk to people about teaching, I really encourage them to start in their comfort zone. You know, start, <laughs> start with, with something you know a lot about and feel very comfortable talking about and using the vocabulary um, and, and even draw the pictures if you need to. Because, um, yeah, that was terrifying to think about doing that. So that's what the growth is, is because I've, I've had to learn how to be a good teacher. Um, I have a lot of colleagues who say, well, you know, physicians are just naturally good teachers. And I, I usually shake my head and go, <laughs> no, no, not any more than PhDs are naturally good teachers. They're, it's just, you're expected to teach. So Dr. Peel, mm -hmm. in terms of teaching, do you, what are some skills that you feel like you picked up throughout your career to help you become a good teacher? I think probably the most valuable skill is to be able, and this is even, it's very challenging in the virtual environment, um, is observing your audience to, and, and that, that nonverbal feedback to see are they getting it? Um, also, just acknowledging, and, and anyone who's heard me do this, this sleep and fatigue talk know that it's not natural for people to fall asleep in the room during a 50-minute talk um, with the lights on. Um, <laughs> but you also, I've learned to not take that personally. I think that's a very valuable, you know, that some people are just going to fall asleep because that's just, you know, accepted in this environment and people are tired. But to, to otherwise really watch and see if people are getting it. And if they're not, to figure out how to get them engaged. So I think if people have known me for a while, they've noticed that my, I now have fewer and fewer slides in my talks. I really think I'm better at engaging an audience and really practicing what we preach with adult learning. So that's where I think I've, I've grown and where I, if there's people who take one thing away from a teaching skills course, it's don't feel like you have to deliver all the information. Have you found any ways to pivot that now that we're so remote? It's been very challenging. It's, um, and that's, that's a great question because it, if people don't have their cameras on, very difficult yeah. mm -hmm. to get any nonverbal feedback. Um, one way is to ask them to turn them on, and they're not always excited about that. But I recently did a medical student course, um, a teaching skills course, and I, when I sent them an email, although I didn't really do it, I did say be prepared <laughs> to turn your cameras on, <laughs> at least have on clothes from, you know, the waist up in case you want to turn your cameras on. But it has been a challenge. Now, I... I've become more comfortable with it. I think when I first started doing it, it was, I felt like I was starting all over again. Um, and I think it's here to stay. I think that um, we've got to consider it. I mean, you, th you think about all the times when people are down at the RBG and can't make it to something on the campus. This is a wonderful tool that we should have been using because it's it's been part of our Microsoft portfolio for a while now. We just hadn't we hadn't taken advantage of it. So yeah, I'm continuing to learn. And one of the things I'm most fascinating it fascinated with now is in helping people to determine what 
should be taught in that virtual environment and some of the things that are absolutely not appropriate to be taught in that environment. And I don't have all those answers. I'm kind of working on that right now, poking around in the literature and with a, a colleague to think about how can we do a little talk on this. And one of the things we want to do is start out with something, uh, trying to teach something in the virtual environment and, and demonstrating that it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So look for that. We're, yeah. we're working on that right now because I think that's where we're going to really have a challenge is now we're all open back up and we think everything ought to be face-to-face, -face, well, maybe it shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Maybe virtual learning is a much more efficient tool because you can record it, people can do it asynchronously. We, we may need to entertain this as, as part of our uh, new normal. Oh, I, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> well, I have another it's question. It's so interesting. Okay. Yes, go. Um, so I know you mentioned kind of leaving academics first. Mm -hmm. How long were you out of academics for, Dr. Peel? I left in uh, 2001, and I came back in 2005. Um, it was a wild ride. Um, worked for a, a contract research organization here in town. Um, and then went to, uh, which was actually a lot of fun. This was good for me to do. Um, went to work for a company that repairs and overhauls T-56 engines okay. for C-130s. So I worked with a lot of engineers designing courses for engineers, for other engineers, in their methodology that they use to um, redesign factories and plants. It was fascinating. You know, in the world of, there's a whole lot of gray in medicine, man, this world is black and white <laughs> because either that engine works or it does not. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you just want to believe they always do. Um, but fascinating. And it was fun because in teaching this group of young engineers, I mean, they hired them right out of college and, and taught them their methodologies. Actually, we did, um, what would have been the equivalent of an OSCE. I got them I got them on board with this and that's what their final exam was. Is they had different stations where they had to interpret different things and um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I don't know if they're still doing it, but again tried to make my mark on that and thinking, you know, let's think outside the box with this. You you can give them a multiple choice test but can they do what you're asking them to do with it? And then I went to work for a company that will, shall remain nameless that I refer to as Dysfunction Junction, so I won't talk about them. They know who they are. <laughs> so what I, I was thinking that every time that I heard you talk about something, you bring up this belief that, um, and I don't know how to connect it to the engineering, you know, thing mm -hmm. that you were just saying, but many times I heard you say, this doesn't work. When you presented things to us in the courses that I had with you, you're very factual, very pragmatic. And so I wonder if it was better for you to be in that realm in which things are more engineer-like and more black and white rather than our realm in which is inference. It looks like an elephant. It sounds like an elephant. Maybe it's an elephant. Maybe it's not. And we're going to treat it as if it's yeah, an elephant. I, I, I've had to, um, because I don't, because I don't take care of patients. I'm actually okay with you. I mean, if I'm a patient, obviously I, I 
I'm a lot less tolerant of the gray. <laughs> I'm going to want to know what the answer is. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, I appreciate this world having, like I said, working with engineers. That was great. But, you know, they've got their quirks <laughs> because there, there is no gray. And there are times when you want people to entertain the thought of gray. Mm -hmm. What if it's not this? And that is a challenge sometimes for engineers. But I think it's very helpful what you bring to us, which we are m most gray. Mm -hmm. And many times when I have been in the meetings with you, you go like, no, no, no. No, this this is how trust it's gonna me, work trust better. Me. Trust me, exactly. <laughs> trust me. I didn't want to say your <laughs> your phrase, but trust me, this is what you need to do. This is the way that it's gonna it's work. Because sometimes it is, you know. I also know that you guys are comfortable with that ambiguity. Yes. In in a lot of times in patient care, but there's still the goal. You may be tolerant of it, but there's always the goal of finding an answer, yes. Yeah. right? Yes. So knowing that that's the way physicians work for the most part i'm i'm more inclined yeah to say here's an answer try it see if it works let's talk if it doesn't because we may need to modify it to fit your situation and i wonder if it, this doesn't connect with the thing that thrills you that you said about the growth because you I, I think that that's the groove you talk about growth mm -hmm. and you talk about being comfortable with uh the dissonance, mm -hmm. I heard you say one time, that was mm -hmm. very important to me, being comfortable with the dissonance, but also looking for this final um, achievement, the result right. has to be there. Right. And that is, that is a path of growth. And yeah. every time that I heard you talk about this, I always think about, oh, this is about growing. And I, I think for me too, it, and this is just the way my brain works, is I'm always looking for, for lack of a better better term, the final common pathway. Yes. Right. I'm I'm all I'm, I, and it may put me somewhere on a spectrum of <laughs> something. Um, yeah. But I look for patterns. Yes. Like I, um, uh, Bob Nolan and I published a paper a couple of years ago, where we looked at different models of learning and of situational leadership and of a number of different things. And then the ACGME um, levels of supervision. Mm -hmm. And I kept looking, I kept looking at these levels of supervision and I kept thinking this, there's something here that is so familiar. And so I took them, and I put them on top of these other models and I went, Bob, look at this. They all fit onto these, these models all fit. So that if we're helping faculty and residents figure out what level of supervision somebody needs, let's look at the language these other models use for each of these cells and help them then kind of make their own tables of when I see this in a learner, it means they need, they need more instruction, but they also need a great deal of cheerleading and feedback. If they, if they exhibit these qualities, they don't need as much instruction, but they still need a lot of that emotional support. 
if they exhibit these qualities, I don't need to really do anything but step back and let them go. And they made me ready to teach other people. But it, it was that kind of stacking of things on top of each other. That's just that my, my brain's weird that way, is that I look for those, those things that then make things easier to understand. Sequences. Right, patterns. And, and patterns, right? So if I, can, if I can take a pattern with content area A and superimpose it on content area B, because people know what the, they, they get A, they get that. And if I can say, well, look, just put that on top of B, and it's the same thing. So looking for ways that help people connect. And I think that we know that that's how adults learn best is if they can connect new knowledge to knowledge they already have. Right. And so that's just, I, I've gotten into that habit of looking for ways to, to, to find what hangers you have in your brain. So, can, <laughs> so when, I, when I throw at you new clothes, you know, you can hang them on something already there. Nice. So, That's a nice image. Very well, nice. it's because I just got a J. Crew shipment today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. So, in that, you know, it, it seems so much like your your passion is is this relationship building. It's 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 finding yeah. ways to to integrate people and and build these relationships yeah. both with yourself and among other people. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about the finding common ground as as being a way to encourage that. But mm -hmm. how do you teach? You know, because it seems like there's a certain degree of emotional intelligence that's required for someone yeah. to be able, especially like what you're saying is recognizing in a learner that one thing is not adequate and that I need to adjust this mm -hmm. and that I need to provide a certain support. But especially in academic medicine and all sorts of other areas mm -hmm. of medicine, some people lack that emotional intelligence. <laughs> yeah, it, part of it is um, you have to be well, and in talking with, with people about just teaching in general, one of the things, you have to be comfortable stepping outside of your content expertise, right? And I, I'm pretty quick to tell somebody, man, that's out of my, that's out of my content expertise, but I still am in, I'm, I'm intrigued. Let's, let's think about this. Let's, let's talk about it. If you don't mind me asking some questions that are probably pretty basic. Mm -hmm. And I think with learners, it's the same thing is that they, you know, the way they learn may be out of your schema for, you know, they may learn differently than you do and being comfortable with saying, okay, this is the way I learned it. But it seems to me that maybe if we take a more visual approach to this, that maybe, you, you know, and, and just, just accepting the fact that, you know, if you look at the literature, there are hundreds of learning models out there, learning style models, and and I tell people not just don't get bogged down in all the different ones, but just acknowledge that, you know, most of the time, 75% of the people are going to be learning differently than you do, and being okay with that, and trying to find, well, are you a more visual learner? Let's think about that, and while that's not the way I learn, I'm willing to help you. Let, let's let's figure this out mm -hmm. because I think too often people. Just assume everybody learns the same way they do. I sit down with a book. I do this, but I discovered just the other day, and it it was became acutely apparent to me that one of my colleagues and I, and I've known her for a very long time, and we're friends outside of work, but we don't we don't learn. Our cognitive style is very different. And I asked her. I, said, I about said her name. Um, I said. 
when you get a new car, what do you do with the manuals? <laughs> and she said, I throw them in the trunk of my car. And I said, I read mine cover to cover. And her eyes got really big and I said, I know it's nerdy, but that's what I do. She goes, I figure, you know, when I need it, I'll find it. I said, I'm just, it was just very illustrative of how we process information differently. And now I've started to watch her in meetings and now I get it. Now I get why we process information differently or that we do not necessarily why I still always wonder what's going on in my brain (laughs) but that we just different we do she talks things through a lot aloud and I'm in my head I've already figured out what I want to do and my my difficulties in sharing with others how I got from point A to point B she's talking the whole way you know other people would um would you know would have that manual out only when they when they need a particular thing and then others even others would say well I'm not going to use the manual I'm going to ask Siri and Siri's going to walk me through the steps right they want someone to tell them what to do and it's none of them are wrong they're just different so where did you get this because when I think about you I think about how you are just excited and, and just interested in people. And just you yeah. keep trying and looking around and keep trying. So your whole conversation is about, oh, well, I keep looking at her and then I keep looking at him. And then you, you know, you look at him, you look at her, you look at me. You're trying to all the time just yeah. engage and, and seek and everything. Were you always like this? This came from your father being a Methodist? Well, I tell you what, it, it, <laughs> it's I w- too personal. Is this too personal? I w- I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. I'll work backwards from here. Right. To back to Southwestern. Yeah. Um, I was a psychology major. Oh. Very intrigued with psych- psychology. What year did you graduate? In 2013. Did you know Dr. Purdy? I did know Dr. Purdy. He did all the blowfish um, research yeah. and everything. You know my dog is named Purdy. No. <laughs> Pirate Purdy. Oh, my God. You are like the most Southwestern. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Dr. Purdy was my one of my best friends and He's mentor. And, um, and his wife is still a very good friend of mine as well. Um, so it's that interest in psychology but not wanting to be that kind of psychologist. I knew right away. I knew enough that I'm enough like my father that I would worry about people. I would take it home. I would be like, I can't fix this person. Because I know that his counseling of people as a minister, I'm sure it took his toll on him. He would never let us know that, but I know that had to be challenging. Um, But it goes even farther back from having moved around so much in an itinerant system of the Methodist Church, that I had to make friends frequently. And that, I realize, is a skill not everybody has. Um, my niece and nephew have grown up in San Antonio and went to the same school. They're all from kindergarten to 12th grade. Um, one of them stayed closer to home to go to college where are the rest of her family at all gone, except for me. (laughs) And the other one said, the younger one, he's in South Carolina doing his own thing. And and it was very brave. But then I I remembered that, you know, I 
I've moved to places where I didn't know anybody. It wasn't out of state, but it was a different town. And and it is. It's a skill. It's just one of those things that you you learn how to do it or you're miserable. Mm-hmm. And we always had that youth group at the church in the summer so that we didn't go into school knowing no one. But, um, yeah, you, you figure it out how to do it. And I think that's always – a it's a challenge for me when I know someone doesn't really like me very much and damn it (laughs) I'm gonna work on it relentlessly uh until I finally and there's some I just go I've I've learned to be better about that as well patience to a point I was gonna say I just until you just acknowledge back to your your original pearl of patience it's it it does it goes back it it does and you have to you know, you may sit by yourself in the cafeteria a couple times till someone sits down and talks to you, but it usually works out. And uh, yeah, but then it, it, patience with with some rational, you know, decisions in there at some point to say, no, they're not ever gonna like me much. Not all my ex-boyfriends like me and I have to accept <laughs> that. Their moms still do. Victory. <laughs> True victory. <laughs> Their moms, so, most of their moms still do. If they're listening, I, well, you know. <laughs> so, but it, I think it is. It's all about, um, I mean, it, it, and then if you want to, if you want to take the relationship building a step farther, um, isn't teaching about building relationships as well? Well, I was going to ask you exactly that. In especially in residency training, where you're with people um for sometimes a longer period of time than you would be if you were teaching a course in college and certainly in an environment where there's a lot more interaction um you have a lot of opportunities to really celebrate successes and and you have those opportunities to learn from mistakes and even go through grieving processes with people that um you know, if you look at teaching as developing those relationships, you can't go wrong. Um, when when we've talked about giving feedback to people before, that it, you know, it's easier to give feedback to people you don't have a relationship with, right? Yeah. Right, right, the, right. The, right, right. the telemarketer, the right. car salesman, the whatever. Right. But when it's somebody that you're likely to see the next day or the next year or for the rest of your life, it's because it you look at it a little differently right it becomes harder to do if it's something that's not all glowing positive and so you I think if we then start to think about everybody we interact with that way that you know we it it may be a very short-lived relationship but it's still a relationship right you may only have somebody you, you may rotate with somebody for four weeks and not really work with them again but that's still a relationship well, it makes that feedback so much more valuable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you know it's somebody who knows you and has watched you and may write a letter for you later and those kind of things. But, you know, teaching as a relationship is, is you, you start to think about other things, about beyond when they're finished on my rotation. Because beyond, you have a stake on the game. Yeah. So when you have a stake on the game, your feedback yeah. becomes... Not feedback only to the person that you're working with, but it's, it's something that is going to come back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things we we talk with people about before they give feedback to think about 
what is your part in this, right? If I'm, if I'm about to give you feedback about an encounter we had, I need to step back and figure out what I did, Yeah. right? That I, I mean, there were two of us there mm-hmm. that I had to have a role in it as well. So yeah, it, if that's a theme that, yeah, I think that that's probably a theme and in, in, of my life. And I, I like to think of myself as a nexus a lot of times in helping connect people. I don't usually have the connections to help people with jobs in the medical world, but uh, I'm working on right now for a friend who, in the educational world, trying to make sure she gets a foot in the door for a position. And it's just, I like doing that. I like being that person who kind of helps the other people realize they've got something in common. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes people aren't, they're not either in the situation where they figure it out or sometimes they're just not as good at it's like did you guys realize you're from the same town <laughs> well i never asked well i know because mm-hmm. i asked those questions saw that pattern yeah mm-hmm. exactly exactly well so dr obviously as the mentors podcast we want to know <laughs> what are like some tangible things that you talk yourself through or could talk to someone else about trying to do to be, like develop more emotional intelligence or to be better at recognizing patterns where are they to find? So at some point you realize that you go back to yourself to see what's happening in the place. Because I, mm-hmm. I always hear you. I heard something very interesting from you in one of the meetings that you said, if you have given feedback and you are not seeing it work, you go back to what you did. And you just said it again. You know, you were also in the room yeah. if we had an encounter. So I thought about adjusting when I heard that from you, but you didn't say it that way. But I also thought that you were going back permanently to yourself. And Mm -hmm. I hear in this conversation that you're always very aware of yourself. Do you think that that's something that people should begin thinking about, being aware of yourself before you actually begin trying to teach other people? And it's that that's easy for me to say that I am. And I, I let me put it this way. I hope that I am. Uh, aware of of my role in those conversations and in in and I'm I'm thinking about one at work right now that I'm trying to mitigate um, and knowing I do contribute to it um, and, and part of that is again it's the way you're raised it's it's the experiences you've had because I think some people just aren't good at it, and, and I hate to say this, but may never be very good at would it. Would you discourage those people to go into academic medicine? I like, would you I discourage, discourage somebody? I wouldn't, n- no, you know what I discourage is when people immediately say, I want to go into medicine, like high schoolers right? and people in college. <laughs> I just encourage them to think about medicine more broadly. Yep. As and, and I go to Southwestern and do talks on applying to medical school and say, we, we're in a room with people who are Bob Nolan goes with me we're we're in the room full of people and these are all people who are pre-med or pre-dental and I do remind him I said you know that there are other like PAs and nurses and yeah and and just to think of it as a much broader net um and oh no I've got and I was like okay well just remember you'll be 35 when you're done Mm. um that's we I was laughing I'm sorry but because we 
theme, and I have just had conversations like this uh, where we're, you know, if yeah. we're not that far down the road to be mentors, but to anyone that we meet on the right. line, we're like, you need to want this. Yeah, if there's an option to do anything else, don't do this one. Right. It has to be the right. one that you can't do right. any other thing. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I get it because I don't think I'm trying to talk them out of it because I no, think it's I a know. bad thing to be or to, to pursue. But just, I, I think people often, if all they've interacted with are doctors and don't realize that that person was a PA and, and you know, that there's there are many, 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 many members of the healthcare team. Yeah. And, um, but I, I don't think I would talk somebody out of academic medicine, but to make them aware of that being a challenge. If you're not, if it's difficult for you to put yourself in someone else's shoes, you know, again, I'm not that kind of psychologist by choice, <laughs> but we, you know, you, I'm sure you've encountered, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm sure there's numbers out there to tell us how many narcissists, what percentage of physicians are narcissists. And I, I, I don't know what it is. I haven't looked at it in a long time. And honestly, I don't care, but there are some and as long as they can acknowledge that they may have difficulty stepping into someone else's shoes, understanding someone else's perspective, depending on their, you know, the severity of their <laughs> their narcissism, um, you know, it, it, it's just being aware that it may be a limitation for you. If you get feedback about that, take it seriously. When someone says, I just feel like you don't understand me ask them well tell tell me about you tell me what I don't get about you so I think there's probably ways around it you just have to it, it's like having a, a learning difference I got you. as long as you know it you may be able to figure out ways around it it's those who don't ever try that are the ones who scare to me work a bit. around it yeah yeah because you it's a big part of what we do okay so that's what I want to make emphasis on as a mentors podcast uh, thing which is have a little bit to to start in the career you should consider that you have a little bit of an interest to begin with to right. put yourself in the shoes of the other person yeah i think it's i think it's critical i think you have to i just think as physicians it's important for you to be able to do because if it's if it's hard for you to understand what motivates your patients i mean it, it again it kind of goes back to it's all about building that relationship to find out what motivates your patient and to care yes. enough to ask them. So let's think about creating a, a reward system for you for every day that you maintain your blood sugar. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna put in at the end of the week that's a reward for you if you've done that all week? Mm -hmm. What's important to you to be able, you know, is it a chocolate bar? <laughs> is it, you know a shot of whiskey what is it that would motivate you to do that but you've got to know them yeah. to build that kind of token economy right it's about rewards and you know for me chocolate isn't it go so, figure somehow you immediately knew me <laughs> but you know what it, you know I'm more the give me a glass of white wine but or give me the opportunity to leave here an hour early and go out and hang out with my dog so but you have to know people to be able to figure out what's reward rewarding to them 
whether it's your patients or it's your trainees or it's your faculty member, because it's important to know how to shape their behavior, even (laughs) if they don't know you're doing it. (laughs) Right? But if you keep throwing chocolate at him and that's not his jam, (laughs) I actually used chocolate as reinforcers in a talk I was doing one time. This guy raised his hand. He goes, I'm allergic to chocolate. And I went, that is totally my bad. I owe you something else after Mm -hmm. this is over. But again, making the assumption that everybody likes chocolate or everybody, you know, but what what is the single, what is the most universal reinforcer? What is it? Anybody? Other than chocolate? It's not money. Smile. Praise. Yeah. Acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. Across any culture. Nothing. Across any culture, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah, I can see you're not, yeah, across any culture, that's that goes so much far, and it's free. I'm interested in something that I heard you. I want to change a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk many times about the high stakes of being a professional, mm-hmm. and uh, that resonated a lot with me because nobody talked to me when I was really young about. I, I made up something that I took a little bit from you, so I'm gonna give you back Uh-oh. your credit. What I do, right? <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you phrase it that way, but you kind of like put it this way. So when I talk to the students, I sometimes tell them, "Well, in career day, you basically decided I'm gonna abide by higher standards than other people, and I'm gonna use more of my personal time to take care of other people, and at their worst, and when they are sick and in uh, in a bad situation in life." And I got that from you from one of the uh, times that I heard you and, um, and you were talking about the really high standards of being a, a physician, but then on top of that, the higher even standards of being faculty, and then on yeah. top of that, the higher, um, the higher standards of leading a group of faculty as a program director. Yeah. So I, wanna, I want you to talk about standards and how you talk about younger, you know, with younger people. Yeah. And I'm very interested on in you saying the uh. piece that you have on the media. Yeah, that's where I, I thought you might be referring to that, is that um, when we talk to prospective students at, at my alma mater, um, we, we talk quite a bit about social media. And just to give them a heads up, it, it actually started my interest in it about God, maybe 15 years ago by now, when one of my peers from college who was a, an advisor of one of the sororities at Southwestern, happened to be our sorority I was in, said, we'll Jennifer, <laughs> Jennifer, yeah. <laughs> Jennifer, the girls are, uh, I just gave her the secret sign. No, it wasn't secret, but you know. Nobody saw it. Um, the girls are about to lose their charter because they've been, po- bunch of stuff posted on, on Facebook uh, drinking. And you talked about this before. Yeah. I heard this part. Yes. Yeah. This and, is interesting. And um, so she goes, would you come talk to them just as a, you know, because a lot of these people are pre-med. Yeah. A lot of them are want to go to grad school. A lot of them want to be teachers, lawyers. You know, they, they've all got plans. Um, even the art majors. <laughs> they've got plans um, that include jobs. And um, I'm really worried about them. And so I, I put together a talk. I mean, I'd never done it before. And I put together this talk, and I I was not friends with any of the girls at that time on Facebook, but she was. And so I pulled a bunch of pictures down, and they were in tears by the end oh, of it. Wow. 
And I didn't mean to make them cry, but I did want to scare them a little bit. Because I said, okay, those of you, how many of you are going to law school? And they raised their hands. And I said, you do know law school does not have face-to-face interviews, right? Oh. They don't. They don't have interviews. Well, it's all based on your letters of recommendation and your LSATs and GPAs. And I said, if I found these on Facebook, you think they can't? And then they go, oh, can they look at that? I said, well, yeah, it's it's in the public domain. Right. And several of the ones that were, te- you know, teachers are going to be teachers. And I said, if I was a parent and I saw this, I'd be furious. I said, so you are, by your choice of profession, whether it's teaching or medicine or law, or car mechanic, you're putting, you're going to be held to standards, whether they're reasonable or not, that are going to be difficult. And don't give people the opportunity to question them by a, from a Facebook post mm. or an Instagram post. And it's several of those girls I, I know still, and they're so funny because they're they're like. I remember that day. It scared us. <laughs> I said, I, part of it was wanting to scare you a little bit, but I, you know, just if it modified your behavior in some way, then I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. And that's what we tell the, the prospective students now is use the grandmother test, right? If you didn't want, if you wouldn't want her to see it, take it down mm-hmm. and think about a law school, you know, admissions committee looking at it. And there have been a couple of times when I've, you know, texted my cousin and said, uh, you need to get your daughter to take that down. You know, just things that I, they're not vulgar, but it's just pushing a, mm-hmm. an envelope that I don't think they want to do. Mm-hmm. And I hate to be that, you know, hall monitor of Facebook for them, but clearly they weren't watching it. The self-awareness again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, you know, this is a, this, generation uh, that is most active in social media shares a lot and you know I have to admit when I first got a face I've been on Facebook a long time now I probably overshared a little bit too but you find people who use it for therapy and to process grief and just know that that's going to be there a long time and um, even having a separate account that may be one that you're professional world has access to you think and the other one that your personal world has access to is not always a clear line of uh, demarcation so that would be very careful i found that very interesting when you explained that uh, there is no separation in the in the media that it's exposed in the internet in between your uh, personal life and your professional life and people can have access unless you block them and you cannot absolutely block everybody. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So do you find that, you know, again, we are going back to sequences and... Uh, patterns. Patterns and sequences. <laughs> so somebody that wants to be you in the future. Oh, you know, that actually, because you know I am me by accident. No, that's... No, uh, I don't mean by my birth. That's what you I didn't to know my birth was an accident, right not now. an accident. But um, I, am, I am me in my professional career by accident. Um, So I ended up in academic medicine the first time completely accidentally. Um, I, and this was pre, pre, 
internet, hard to believe, but I am that old. Um, Pre-internet, I was looking for jobs in my last year of graduate school. I sent a resume to a, or a CV to a CV data bank, which I guess was probably just binders full of CVs, at a, at a conference. And, um, and my first employer saw that must have been the same day that I replied to an ad in a journal. Um, I, this was at University of Arkansas Medical Sciences campus. Mm -hmm. um, I did mostly, um, well, it was mostly undergraduate medical education, but then I, it was a, a, a unit that um, provided support for also a pharmacy school and a nursing school. Um, and a dental school. So, is that right? They have a dental? Anyway, it's been a long time since I've been there. Um, and, and that was an accident, but then I got an offer and went to uh, University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston and was there for six years and learned so much. I was around so many really bright people. It was a fun time in, in UME um, because we uh, developed a problem-based track, and I was a big part of that. They had a huge standardized patient program, was one, one of the flagship programs in the country. So I just, I, I really, it was, a, it was a time of great, tremendous personal growth for me, and pr professional growth. Um, and then went back to Arkansas for a little bit, and that's when I, you know, did the greener pastures thing and left for the pharmaceutical world. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> yeah, it stinks, but, um, so that's why then, you know, having the, the opportunity to come back to this environment intentionally, um, I'll never forget my mother saying to me, well, I wish you'd go back cause you seemed so much happier. Hmm. And I still think about that a lot. Um, it's hard even when I get um, concerned about things in the office or things that are going on at the institution, it's hard to not be happy around people whose goal is to make people healthier hmm. or to keep them healthy. And I have to remind myself of that, even though it's hard for me a lot of times to see any direct impact of what I do on a patient outcome. Um, I have to remember there may be a tiny influence and it may be many 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 steps in between but i'm still part of this place that that's the goal and that's what keeps me going and it it does it it, it i am a much happier person in this environment than i was in the corporate world and i imagine i will i well i said a long time ago i'd never go back to it um it would it, it'd be have to be a, a i don't know what it would take but uh it it's a fun place too. It's when you work around really creative people who are very committed to their patients and committed to teaching, and it makes the ones that aren't a little, you know, it's like, okay, well, there are some of those, and they 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 fall through eventually. You know, we can we can sift them out, and they go do other things. But cre so creating a me it was such an odd path, um, and there are some program at least when I first started there was a program 
at North Carolina because one of my friends graduated from it um, that was a PhD in medical education. And there are just not many of those no. around. And my degree is in experimental psychology and human cognition and physiological psych. I mean, I'm again very. If you look at my CV, it's definitely a patchwork quilt or a. It's a mosaic. It's hardly a painting. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because you know my my role I consider is helping other people do their research, not me having a research agenda necessarily. But um, and would you say sorry to interrupt? But would you okay. say that that is necessary for somebody that wants to do your job? That they are kind of like a generalist. Um, in fact, yes, I think that that's um, there is a group, and I'm not even sure they still convene, but I think they still exist called the Generalists in Medical Education, <laughs> and they meet <coughs> in, in in concert with their. Uh, overlap a tiny bit with the WMC meeting and yeah those are my people those are that's the Jim Tysingers yes that's the John Littlefields mm-hmm. that's um, that's uh, yeah those are those are the ones the Bill Hendricksons and you know unfortunately we, we lost John Bill and and uh, and Jim have both retired I mean that makes me feel pretty old as being one of the senior most kind of PhD educators, which I really don't like that term, but they use it for us a lot. Um, so a generalist, somebody that is interested in, yeah, in connections, somebody that is interested in relationships, somebody that is looking always for how to engage, how to yeah. motivate. Yeah. I always come out of your discussions uh, energized and so... Well, that's very flattering. I, 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 I hope it's not because you sat and drank a Mountain Dew. No. <laughs> <laughs> but if that's what it takes to get through it. But I think, too, a person... I was thinking about this on the way down because I had no idea what you would, would ask me. And, and I should have been more focused on driving in, in, a, in a downpour that I will not complain about anymore because I'm so grateful for rain. Um, is, you know, I think being um, a non-physician in academic medicine is still a, sometimes a challenge. Yes. There are people who are more receptive to us being a part of kind of the educational team um, than others. Um, I won't even say it's by department. It's, just, it's really by individual yeah. a lot of times. And so you, you have to be, um, and again, this was, Dr. Purdy gave me this advice. Peel, <laughs> the best advice I can give you is accept no credit and all blame. Wow. Nice. And I went, Purdy, thanks. <laughs> not, not very. Um, but you know what? I it's okay. It, 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 I'm not suggesting that we don't get credit for what we do as medical educators, but you have to be comfortable with watching other people's development and being excited about knowing I was their mentor. Right. Our job is to get them farther that we can yeah. ever get. Yes. And I, I was looking at something the other day at you for UAMS and discovered um, that. 
one of the people I was very engaged with, we, we did a project together, I think she would have considered me, even though we were roughly the same age, she probably would have referred to me as a mentor through her early academic career. She is a freaking dean now. And you know what? I was like, outstanding. That makes me, that made me so proud to know that she, she stuck with academic medicine when she could have gone and done anything. She still, I look at she's, her publications, she's still very interested in the academic part of, of pharmacy education. She, yeah. So another thing to think if we are trying to make a you, if a little you is listening. A little you, a little me. It's, it's about proposing somebody farther and faster that you can propose yourself. Yeah, I think, I think you have, and, and being, being okay with, that's the reinforcement, right? Because right. we, we may not win teaching awards because we don't teach courses right. or, you know, and those kind of things. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. I like seeing people who've been in my courses right. win the teaching award. I may have had absolutely nothing to do with it, but it's, it's fun. You do. It's, well, thank you. That it's a very special kind of person to, like, I guess, again, like, accept no credit, but take all blame kind of idea. Well, it's, it's just, amazing. I guess, part of it, too, is I think to be successful in a career like this, you got to find your reinforcement other places, <laughs> right? And, and you've got to find your self-esteem sometimes in other places. And you've got to, there's times you've got to have a really thick skin. And, and I'm not about to say that I'm, you know, I've got, like, super high self-esteem. There are times when I question myself over a convert. It's mostly around conversations. It's not about actions. It's mostly I, I replay a conversation and wish I'd done it differently. And so in that sense, it can be borderline neuroticism if you start to kind of internalize that stuff too much. So you have to know when to say, you know what, I did my best. I might have done it differently, but I did my best. But I think having you've you got to have a life outside of it. Of, of the academic environment. Most of my friends, um, some of them work in healthcare, but they're not in our system. Um, you know, find, you've got to have that balance. I do have lots of friends that work with us in, in numerous capacities, but I've got to have a balance. Or it would just be, an, I don't think I would ever get that piece mm. of kind of being away from it. Um, I don't know, other people might be better at that than I am, but I think you, you've got to find another way um, to celebrate other people's successes and, and, and be okay with that. Like, there are Nobel Prize winners that are, you know, do what I do, and, I like and you got to be okay with it. so well as well for primary care. Like, we have to yeah. celebrate our victories right. and what we true. can do with our patients. You're, like, you're the ultimate generalist, right? Exactly. Maybe that's why we like you so much. <laughs> I love it. Well, but you know what? I, I will say that primary care, if you look across the spectrum of, of medical schools and departments within medical schools, I don't know this for a fact, but I would be willing to bet that there's a much greater percentage of family medicine program, internal medicine programs or departments, pediatric departments that have educational specialists in them than, and, and perhaps OBGYN, so the, the things considered to be primary care, mm -hmm. I bet you there are. 
Yeah, and it, 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 I find myself trying to do that every patient encounter that I can is finding those things to celebrate. Because it's not, we don't have the, those milestones like, like a surgeon might have where it's like, this was a success or this right. was not right. a success. Right, you had cancer, now you don't. Right, right? But, those but kind of we things. have, like you said earlier, like, what are we going to do to celebrate you keeping your glucose in control mm. for this week or you making those decisions mm. or us managing your pain better, you know? Right, and, right. And being able to find those things for other people, right. you know, and say, right. like, we might not have gotten you back on your bike, but you're walking again. Yeah, you, you, know? you like, may never you may never play the piano, but you never did. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, but being able Doctor, to find those things. Doctor, will I dance things. again? Yeah. Right, right. No, I think, and I, you know, I, again, um, it, it would be hard to do what I do and and expect people to give me a ton of credit. I, I just don't, I mean, I would rather not do that. In fact, so when, I, I, I was very flattered when, when you asked me to come do this, and I, I forwarded uh, that email to uh, my supervisor. I said, I am very flattered to do this. And so he immediately wanted to put it on a slide for our GMAC meeting, and I went, don't do that. <laughs> you know, I just don't, it, it's, it's okay. No, that really, it's okay. So making another appeal, maybe something to think about if you are able to find the delay satisfaction. So the satisfaction is not going to be there. You're going to see the career of this person that you helped somehow and then, you know, 20 years down the yeah. road, you're going to go and say like, wow, I did that. Well, and you know what, you just gave me a really, I mean, about creating more appeals. <clears throat> I'm sure there are a lot of people around here would say, what's creating? Would you get a doctor? Yeah. Uh, as, as, uh, you know, would you get somebody, if you were to go back? Would you add your education on top of an MD degree, or would you add an MD degree on top of your education, or you wouldn't, because that will take from it? Would you prefer somebody to teach us that is also one of us? Oh, that, that would be wonderful, and I know someone doing that right now, he's getting his PhD. In education, and yes. That, yes. I know who you're talking about. Yes, and a very good friend, and, um, and we we do a lot of projects together and I I I think that's a wonderful I think that's a wonderful way to do it um, I don't know that it's necessary aren't you better from the outside not being a physician because I always remember entering the room when I was about to take an assignment to go somewhere to do something for the institution and I always remember you sitting with us Nolan and you and me and uh, you were very good gauging the other aspects of what I had to do, which mm. I, as a physician, did not... For me, it was about modifying certain specific things, and, and you brought this other side of this thing. And I always remember, you know, a couple of your comments in which you were very, very realistic about, you know, some things that I would have never thought about. So, mm -hmm. would that be a plus or a minus if you were making another well, year? you know, I think it, I think it depends. I, it's going to be very idiosyncratic because I think some people may be very good at kind of stepping out of that physician role and thinking about it um, differently from what from they've the learned. And it, yeah, <laughs> and I, I think it, it, some people may be, and it, the person we're thinking of, I think, may be really good at that. Yeah. I think some others might not ever... We're trying to make deals here. <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to replicate the cloning. Let's call this the, 
Yeah, the clones instead of the mentors. But you've given me a really good idea because we, you know, we have a number of different institutions in San Antonio. People don't give San Antonio enough credit for being uh, seventh largest city and, and, you know, we don't show up on weather maps and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And, I, and the thing is they don't realize that San Antonio is actually okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, so should we consider working with one of these other schools that has pro have a program in adult education to either offer some kind of rotation for them, you know, some kind of practicum for people, and then where the hell would we start? You know, that's what I think about is, what did I learn first? Is what? there not a distinction in education for the, the there are. school? There okay, are. Because I, I graduated here, and yeah. I wonder they just they have to take some some courses um and i'm not even sure what those university of north texas has a certificate on academic medicine that has some education on it does it yes north university of north texas yeah really if they do it through through the old tcom excellent so it might be worth talking with them about you know because we've got utsa we've got st mary's we've got trinity we've got uiw we've got a ut san antonio uh, UT or A and M San Antonio. So we're brainstorming all of this now. Yeah. So do you find that teachers like this person that you're that's about to get the the, the vacation on it, the on major vacation? But um, don't you find that when you're interested in teaching as a doctor, some of that is not really some the path is not clear. Oh, I absolutely, but but. So what would be your yeah, he's where, where he's do we able start? To, yeah, he's able to do it because of his military connection. Right. Um, because they do offer some courses. Right. Yeah, where would they start? Well, I think starting... So these two that we have here, that yeah. they are interested in being academicians in the future and teaching other physicians. So what are we doing? You first take advantage of everything that's offered here where any opportunity you have to teach and get feedback about it from mm -hmm. somebody you know, your peers, your your faculty, if you want me to come. What book do they read? Oh. So, for example, the ACP books on teaching and residency teaching. Those are actually very nice. Those yes. Are, they're those very are nicely done. So, books. And yeah. then courses. What course would you say, oh, take this course because maybe, maybe take a course about, uh, I don't know, talking. I think a course... A basic course in human cognition. Yeah, but a basic course in human cognition. Okay, very interesting. To understand a little bit about um, what um, you can do it. What you know? What goes on? You can pick up. Right. Okay. That's okay. Show up on the weather map. We want to be real. Yeah, that's how I learned to take my old people medicine. Oh. Um, no, but I think, you know, basic courses in learning and cognition. Um, it's in a great human cognition. Yeah. One great, basic course in human cognition. Great way to start because you talk a lot about how people learn, how people memor you know, remember things. Um, and then, any, you know, a course in adult learning. And we, we just don't have anything like that that's, 
So that's across the board. But am I, if you've got opportunities at national meetings to go to those kind of workshops. So can we engage you on something? Yeah. Maybe a five point list. Okay. Let's think for, about it. For the residents saying, okay, so the first is human cognition and we'll find some, yeah. some course on that. You Google human cognition, basic human cognition course. You take yeah. Then adult education. Uh, adult learning. Adult learning. Adult learning would be a great one. Um, Maybe three things, not five. So one more. Human cognition, adult learning, and yeah, you mentioned presentations. I think any opportunity you have to, I, and because I feel like I hone my presentation skills every time I go to a course. Every time I sit through someone else's course on doing presentations, any time I find somebody, I, I, I download everyone I can find. If I, even if I run across them accidentally, it's like, you know, I'm going to save this. They may have something in here that is, is a nugget of information that I might use to tweak my presentations. So yeah, a course on presentations. Now, there is a course at, you, and, and um, Bill Hendrickson, who now technically retired, uh, was the course director for this, but they offer it as mostly graduate students. But they offer this called You Teach. And it may be something that family right. medicine residents might yeah, want to take absolutely. advantage of. Um, where you, and because I've been one of the evaluators in it, where you, we watch people give a 10-minute talk early in the course, and then we watch them again later in the course. And that is so fun to watch them just hone that, you know, because sometimes, man, on the evaluation, I'm just like, don't take this the wrong way. I'm doing this to help you improve and to watch them really, you know, turn it around. Because I can't even remember what this one guy was talking about, and it was like way over my head. And I asked him who his audience was intended to be. He said, well, elementary school teachers. And I went, well, no. <laughs> and he just didn't. He didn't really think about talking to people who didn't know as much. As, I mean, I want to say it was like. T cells and B cells and way over my head. And to watch him come back and have completely catered this to that particular audience, it was really fun to watch. And even if, you know, think about residents putting one of those together. You guys pulling together speakers to do it, and it's just all focused on residents honing that particular skill set it I'm, I'd be happy to help you do it when I Perfect. was at uh, Southwestern one of my biology classes we had like everyone had a topic they had to teach and we had to teach it first as if we were teaching it to four-year-olds oh. and then had <laughs> to teach it as if we were teaching Perfect. it to a college mm -hmm. class so Completely. you had two presentations for one topic it's wonderful yeah it was really it's wonderful it was really cool yeah see I was there pre-powerpoint so <laughs> we had we did a lot of a lot of chalk talks. <laughs> we still do chalk talks too. We feel good about this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right.